Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall I eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we listen to these words and we say, here, why do we worry? And yet we step out inside these doors and, and we do. I pray, Father, that you would give us clarity of mind to understand how deep your love is for us. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Windsor Road, and if this is your first Sunday here, uh, um, my name is Randy, and I'm privileged uh, to serve as the lead minister at the church, and uh, we're just delighted uh, that you've come here as our guest, and um, um, I get communication from our congregation on a regular basis, even uh, either in person, uh, in my office, or through emails, um, questions questions that you have about God, about Jesus Christ, uh, about the Bible, um, questions based on what's going on in your life. Uh, Randy, um, uh, why would God allow this? And then the question. And, or Randy, does it make sense for God to? And the question. And we have a lot of questions that we want to ask God. And we look to, Bible, to the Bible as sort of an answer book, you know, solution to life's questions, questions that we have. Well, have you ever thought of the Bible as more than just an answer book, but as the question book? And have you ever thought that God may have some questions for us? We have questions that we want God to answer, but on the other hand, God 
pulls up a chair and says, Randy, I'd like you to sit and uh, I have some questions for you. And just that thought is uh, that's a little bit intimidating. <laughs> and yet, the Bible is full of questions. Questions that our Heavenly Father has for us. And He's asking these questions because He wants to carry on a conversation with us. He does. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to challenge us. He wants to challenge me to be a holy man of God. And He has questions because He wants to transform me. And so he says, Randy, sit for a while and let's talk and I, I have some questions for you. And so I thought it would be a good idea to have a series of messages on some of the questions that God has for us. And the first question that he has that I want us to discuss this morning and I want us to hear from God is, a question that was spoken in our scripture reading by Tim Combs, one of our elders. Did you hear the question? It's this. Why do you worry? Why do you worry? It's a very relevant question, isn't it? Why do you worry? About three years ago, a thousand Americans were polled, and they were asked the following question. The question was this, what do you think about when you're taking a shower in the morning? <laughs> so well, that's an interesting question. You know what's interesting, even more interesting? A thousand Americans answered. <laughs> you know what the top two responses were? Top response was this, well, I'm taking a shower in the morning. Uh, um, Americans said, a thousand Americans said, I think about my to-do list, right? You know what the second most popular item was? My worries about my to-do list. <laughs> I mean, we can't even get the conditioner off of our hair before we are swarmed by the worries of life. Jesus says, do, uh, why do you worry? Why do you worry? And in fact, uh, it's more than just a question in these verses. It's a command. Three times in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus says, do not worry. He says it in verse 25. He repeats it in verse 31. Do not worry. And then he concludes in verse 34. Do not worry. Do not worry. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. So I'd like for us to spend some time this morning talking about this very first question that God has for us. And what I'd like for us to do is we look at Matthew 6, 25 to 34. I'd like to answer three questions that are on your outline. And the first question is this. Uh, just what is worry? How does Jesus define worry? And we're going to have to do some digging for that because uh, just at a surface reading, it, Jesus assumes that we know what worry is, but I want to make sure that we, we do. So we're going to talk about that first question. Just what is worry? 
according to the Bible. The second question is this. Why does Jesus tell us not to worry? If he tells us this three times, but why, why does he tell us not to worry? What's, what's his rationale? What are his reasons? There are five of them. We're going to talk about them here in just a moment. And then finally, we will answer the question, well, okay, what do Jesus want us to do then? If he doesn't want us to worry, what does he want us to do? That's question number three. So let's get to work, beginning with question number one, just what is worry? How does Jesus define worry? Now, before I go any further, I want to uh, recognize three individuals in our congregation this morning. I did this first service, and I want to recognize them again. We usually don't do this at Windsor Road, but it's an exception today. Uh, They're sitting by one another here, and uh, I just want you to meet them. The first person I want you to meet is a person by the name of Laidback Larry. Laidback Larry. And it's important that you understand who Laidback Larry is because Laidback Larry is going to listen to this message in a particular way. Laidback Larry is just so Laidback. His motto in life is whatever, you know. And he's so Laidback. Actually, he doesn't really get much done. He's so Laidback. And the things that he does get done are typically late. And uh, so he hears this message. He hears these verses. Uh, He hears these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And Laidback Larry goes, hey, I'm gold. I am am awesome. I am doing this. Yeah, whatever. Laidback Larry. Okay. Sitting next to Laidback Larry is another individual. Um, His name is Hyperventilation Harry. You know, you know him, hyperventilation here. He worries about everything. He worries about, he worries about the stock market. He worries about the economy. He worries about his job. He worries about his family. He worries about his kids. And then when the preacher stands up and starts talking about worry, he worries about that too. He, and he starts feeling guilty, hyperventilation Harry. And it's like, Harry, you know, just breathe deeply into this brown bag. It's going to be okay. All right, hyperventilation Harry. And next to Harry is... The third person, and his name is Get a Life Gary. Get a Life Gary. Get a Life Gary is uh, a PhD student at the U of I. And uh, Get a Life Gary's wife uh, works a 40 hour job so that he can finish his PhD. They have two children. And uh, last week, Get a Life Gary's wife came home from the doctor's office and said, I have cancer. And surgery is next week. And uh, you're going to have to quit your PhD so that you can get a job to support the family and what's going to happen to the kids. And I'm not sure how much time I have left. I don't know what's going to happen in the next year. And Get a Life Gary is here. And he listens to this preacher that he really doesn't know spout off these words, these you know, religious words like do not worry. And you know what he says? Get a life. Just get a life, man, because there are some things you jolly well better worry about, like, you know, how my wife is going to survive this and what's going to happen to my children. And uh, my career dreams have kind of been derailed. And he hears this pie-in-the-sky preacher talk, and he says, get a life. Larry, Harry, and Gary, they're here. They're here every week. 
And what they need to know is that Jesus is also here too. He is. And, and what Jesus is trying to say in these verses is, you know, worry, worry is not the intensity that you have that's natural to your personality. And, and worry is not even the intensity that you have that's appropriate to passionately pursuing Christ. I mean, did not the Apostle Paul compare the Christian life to a race run in such a way so as to win the prize? Did he not say that? And, and did he not compare the Christian life as boxing or wrestling uh, uh, and, and the self-discipline that's involved? I beat my body and I make it my slave so that having preached to others, I will not be disqualified? And furthermore, worry is not assuming the responsibilities of leadership and the pressures therein. I mean, if you are responsible for someone, if your, if your life, if your work, if your job makes you responsible for someone else's life or your family or your children or, or you, you, know, you are running a business and you're responsible for making payroll, I, I mean, that's pressure. But that's not worry. It's just, that's just a different kind of sleep. That's what that is. And the Apostle Paul talks about this very thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, when having given a list of all of his pressures and trials and struggles, he says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, and besides all this, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So, that's not worry. That's just good leadership. That's what that is. So, so you know, we all listen to these verses from our worlds, and, and the truth is, you know, Larry... Laid back Larry needs a hug, and then he needs a kick in the pants. That's what he needs. Okay? Uh, hyperventilation Harry, he needs a lesson in prayer. Okay? And uh, get a life Gary in his world, he needs a brother in Christ who will come alongside and assure him that he is not alone at all. So, so let, let's make sure we understand what worry isn't, Okay? Well, then what is it? Well, let's look at the word itself. The word itself, worry, there in verse 25, do not worry. The word worry is actually a word in the New Testament uh, that is a compound word, and it means simply this, to divide the mind. To divide the mind. That's the simplest biblical definition of worry. A di worry is a divided mind, a distracted mind. A mind that's been dissected. A, 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 a mind that is, is not a unified mind. Uh, we, have, we have the priorities of today, but then there are the problems of tomorrow, and that divides us. And it dissects us. And it distracts us. And worry is what happens when part of us is in the present and part of us is in the future. And worry occurs when one thought 
then becomes two thoughts, becomes four thoughts, and eight, and 16, and then pretty soon, we are the 182 Texans in the Alamo, and Santa Ana's armies are massing, and they're getting ready to breach the walls of that little chapel, and once those walls get breached, chaos occurs on the streets, and there's rioting within the walls, the broken walls of our mind. I mean, that's a really good picture of worry, and it's a biblical picture of worry. I'm thinking of Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Write down Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. It says, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. That is a perfect biblical picture of worry. Broken down walls and there's rioting in the streets. And so you see, we kind of tend to think that if only what's going on outside the walls would settle down, then we wouldn't have the worries that we have. But the truth of the matter is, worry happens right up here in our mind. The mind is the place where worry resides. And so whether your circumstances are positive or whether they're negative. Worry can still fester in your mind. <laughs> and because there's always something to worry about. Am I going to get a job? All right, I have a job. Am I going to keep a job? Uh, will, uh, will my income keep up with the cost of living? What about my children? How, how am I going to pay for their college? Uh, uh, or, you know, am I ever going to find a spouse? Am I, am I worthy to have a spouse? What's up with that? Worries that fester in the mind because the walls of our mind have been breached. Someone once said that worry is wasting today's time to clutter tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's trouble. And the result is half-minded living. Half my, that's, a, that's a good definition of worry. Half-minded living. So then, what's your worry? What is your worry? I want you to take uh, your bulletin. It's class activity time. And I'd like for you to take, I have a very specially prepared section on the front page of your bulletin, this little white space here. I've especially prepared this for us. And in between the Windsor Road W logo and the date, I want you to write down what your worry is right now. Right now, what is your worry? What is it? And if you don't have anything to worry about, look at the date. It's April 15th. Your taxes are due. <laughs> so, worry about that. So I want you to write down, and maybe if, you know, if, you don't want, if you're afraid someone's going to see, then just write down the first letter of whatever that is, okay? And then when you're done, I want you to just Gently follow the perforation 
on this. Okay? So you've got your corner with your worry here, right up here. She just hang on to it. All right? I want you to look at it. Okay? I want you to look at it. And I have um, two more questions before I leave this first point. Take a look at this. And here's the questions. Question number one. Is God worried about what's on this page? Question number two. Then why are you worried See, there's always, there's always reasons to worry. <laughs> but Jesus gives us some reasons not to worry. In fact, you know, there's, there's good reasons to worry, but Jesus says there's better reasons not to worry. And he lists five. And let's just go through them here. As, uh, and, and they're just one verse right after another. Uh, verse 25, reason number one. Your life is more than food and clothing. <laughs> so there, there's so much more to who you are than what you have or don't have. Verse 25 begins with the words, therefore. Well, therefore what? Well, you have to look. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you, you ask yourself, what's that therefore? And then just look up. Look at the, and Jesus is talking about what you treasure most and the stuff of this world. And, you know, he's saying that both Clothes and steel get eaten. And clothes get eaten by you know, moths and steel gets eaten by rust. And if it's really valuable, it'll just get stolen. But your life, Jesus says, is more than these. Your life cannot be undone by a bear market unless you worship the market. Haven't you seen the lives of people who obviously are living for the things of this world and, 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 and they're living for hollow, empty things. You know, he's living for his job or they're living for their children or she's living for her face. Things of this world. And the fact of the matter is, church family, what you have or what you don't have isn't what's playing in the theater of the universe. There's a much bigger show than that. Look back at that piece of paper. Jesus says your life is more than what's on that paper. It's more. Reason number two. Reason number two is this. I don't want you to worry because God loves you more than he loves crows. Isn't that encouraging? That's a good word. Where do you see that? Well, it says it there. It does. It does. Jesus says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Well, it doesn't say that in Matthew 6, 26. But it says it in Luke 12, 24. In a parallel section, Jesus uses the word ravens. What are ravens? They're crows. They're crows. Consider the ravens. They don't plant. They don't water. 
They don't store up in barns for the next year. But God feeds them. God loves them. And they're crows. They're ravens. And we're not talking about little Tweety Bird that you get at the pet store. Little, you know, parakeet, cute little. Yeah. <laughs> they're crow. They're dirty, aggressive, pesky, black crows. They're garbage disposals. In the Hebrew Bible, they're unclean. And yet God feeds them. And what does God feed crows? Roadkill. Roadkill. Trash. Crops they steal. (laughs) Now, if God cares enough to feed a flying garbage disposal, how much more does he love you and care about you? So that's reason number two, not to worry. Reason number three is this, in verse, it's in verse 27. Worrying gets you nowhere, right? Jesus said, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? You, can't, you cannot worry your way to a longer life. You can't. You, and worry won't, worry, worry won't add height. You know, wor- worry can make you gain weight or lose weight, but not in a healthy way. Worry won't grow hair. Worry won't improve your golf game. Worry does absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. That's reason number three. And reason number four is this. Jesus says, I don't want you to worry because God's wardrobe is far more dazzling. It is, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Now, when Jesus is talking about the lilies, he says, these are the lilies of the field. These aren't the lilies in the sunken garden at Allerton Park. These aren't the lilies at one of the parks in the Arboretum that take a staff uh, to develop them and tend them. These are, the, these are of the field. These are the, these are the flowers that don't get tended by human hands. They're the flowers that God plants and God takes care of, and they are the flowers that only God will see. He's the only one who sees them, and they have a beauty and a splendor and a glory that just pleases God, and, and God is so powerful. God does not concern himself with efficiency in the display of his power because his power is infinite and he has the power to create a a lily or a flower of the field that just makes him smile. And it's a flower that's going to be there and some of those flowers are just going to bloom one day and then the next day they're going to die and God created that flower just because he's God and it pleases him and it makes him smile. And you are more important than that flower. You're more important. And Jesus promises more than just God will take care of you. The promise is God will make you dazzle. God will clothe you in nothing less than his glory and his splendor. So don't let your mind be divided and anxious over clothing. That, you know, even Solomon 
Israel's storied wealthiest king did not have a wardrobe that exceeded these flowers that no one will ever see. Just God. God promises to dress us in his glory. And he promises to transform these sickly mortal bodies into immortal, glorious bodies. And this is more than a promise of clothing. It is the promise of life that is radiant and indestructible. Uh, There is a a New Testament professor by the name of uh, Ben Witherington III. And you can follow his uh, writings on a blog called The Bible and Culture. The Bible and Culture. And um, he teaches New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. And at the beginning of this year, his adult daughter, uh, Christy, suddenly died. Um, I mean, she was alive and then gone. She died. And Ben Witherington has been blogging his grief uh, in a way that reminds me of C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed. And this was one of his more recent posts concerning his beloved daughter. He says, My hope is in nothing less than a dramatic reversal of death in the flesh. My hope is not even just in the risen one, though that is true enough, but in the risen one's promise to raise from the dead those who are in Christ. Nothing less than this is my hope. So as I grieve for Christie, I do so in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. I cannot wait to see her new resurrection body. And if she is any more bright and beautiful than she is in my photo of her, I will need strong glasses, strong sunglasses to view her. So why do you worry? Why do you worry? This takes me to our fifth reason. And it's simply this. I see it in verse 32. God promises you himself. God promises you himself. Verse 32 says, For the pagans run after all these things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows your concerns. He he knows that you need a job. He, he, he knows that you're trying to plan for your retirement, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. The question is, what are you going to be about? What are you going to be about? Everybody else wants to make their life about this life, and that's why they're pursuing all of these things. And, you know, when you read the news, you know, really, really, the news is all about the stuff of life. I mean, you just can't, most of the newspaper is about money. It is. I mean, it's, uh, whether it's in the economic section or the business section or the auto section or the housing section, even the sports section with contracts and salaries. The, the, it's like the whole world is just pursuing stuff. 
And, our, and, our, and God says, I know that you need these. See, so our problem, see, our problem is this. We think that if we will simply get more of what we already have, we will no longer have any reason to worry. But Jesus makes it very, very clear that we will never cure worry by getting more of what we already have. The only way that we can cure worry is to, is to receive what we don't have. God says, I'm going to give you myself. I know what you need. I will take care of you, O oh, you of little faith. And that's where we get to the crux of the matter. Do we trust our Heavenly Father or not? Well, that question leads us to our third point here. What, what does Jesus want us to do? What does he want us to do? How do you unify a divided mind? And Jesus says that the way to unify a, a mind that is divided and a mind whose walls have been breached and a mind where there's rioting on the streets by the barbarians of worry, the way to unify that mind is through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And someone might say, yeah, but what about the really, really impoverished people on earth? And what I'm trying to tell you is that those were the people who first heard these words. The, the, the first audience of these words were not folks in Southwest Champaign. They were, they were, the, they were the scratch-paw farmers in first century Israel. They, they were the, the, the impoverished fishermen who were trying to eke out a living. They were the folks... The merchants who would bring their wares to the market to try to get what they needed for that day's meal that night. Jesus speaks to these people and says, I want you to trust your heavenly Father. He knows what you need. Your Father is God. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness first and your Father will take care of you. And what's true for them then is true for us now. I'm thinking about uh, that dear a woman in Christ, that dear sister in Christ who was feeling swept away and invaded by the barbarians of worry in her mind. But like a bolt of lightning came this truth. My Father is God. My Father is God. See, the reason why we worry is we've made someone else our father. And your father is not your job, and your father is not your income, and your father is not your children, and your father is not your government, and your father, your father is God. Psalm 121 says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And if you will just wrap your brain around that statement, my Father is God. Wrap your brain around this statement. My rescuer is the Messiah of the universe. My Savior is Jesus who bears the wrath of God. He is the substitute, my substitute on the cross. My Savior is the Lamb of God, the one good man, the only king. And watch your worries flee the streets of your mind. 
Seek him first. <laughs> There's an old story about uh, Queen Elizabeth I, uh, not the current Elizabeth, but Queen Elizabeth I, who had summoned a merchant to her throne. And he comes to the throne of Her Majesty, and Her Majesty says, I have a commissioning for you. I want to send you to a colony over the ocean to tend to some of my business there. And the merchant was grateful to appear before Her Majesty's presence, but courteously uh, declined. (laughs) Your Majesty, I have a business here in London, and if I tend to Her Majesty's business overseas at this colony, my business will fail. To which the queen said, my good man, you take care of my business and I'll take care of yours. He'd forgotten who he was talking to, the sovereign of the empire. Your father is God. You put him first. He will take care of you. And you know what that looks like? I'll give you two pictures here. The first is this. It looks like more prayer. That's what that looks like. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he says... He says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He does not promise that your problems will go away he will promise that peace will reside in the midst of your life and its storms. So if I'm worrying, that just means I haven't been praying enough. It just means I need to pray more. I just need to pray more. Keep praying. Well, like what? Well, how about the prayer, my Father is God? Start there. So that's what it means to seek his kingdom first. And then, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, too. Um, And please listen up. It means we need to pray more, number one. And then the second feature is it means we need to give more. We need to give more. The fact of the matter is, some of us here are just flat stingy. And we need to be more generous to God. We do. Well, I'm not talking about money. (laughs) I'm not talking about that. (laughs) Do you know God's people at this church gave $36,000 last week? (laughs) I'm not talking about that. Oh, God be praised for his generosity through his people. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about this. You've been stingy with your worry. You've been keeping it all to yourself. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. 1 Peter 5, 7 does not say, cast a tenth of your anxiety on him. 
because he, he doesn't, doesn't say that. God doesn't want a tithe of your worries. He wants all of your worries, all of them. Cast all of your worries and all of your anxieties and all of that which is dividing your mind. Give it to him. That thing that you're looking at, that thing that's, that's uh, uh, swarming your minds in the shower, that thing that's dividing your mind and causing a riot in the streets of your brain, give that to God. And so here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, we're going to sing and then we're going to have communion because Because God cares for you enough to send his son. And then we're going to receive an offering. And some of you have monetary offerings to give to the Lord. But all of you have worries. And so I want you to take this that you scribbled your worry on. As an act of worship, I want you to put it in the offering plate and say, Lord, it's yours. I don't want it back. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Amen? Heavenly Father, teach us to be as generous with our worries as we've been with our wallet. Teach us to give you and give you and give you so that in giving you would be glorified. And thank you so much for loving us. It says everything about you. Amen.